School leaders should lead from the front. Bureaucracy fosters stagnation. We need school choice. Our education has a long way to go. Old methods of teaching no longer work. And how does the world treat young people after they enter the professional workforce is what matters. These are all the ideas that our guest today shared with us. If you're intrigued, stay tuned and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast, an education-focused podcast where today's educators take the mic back and share their experiences, thoughts, beliefs, and ideas about education. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to share your thoughts and ideas in the comment section below or email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com and enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the new episode of Turn Talk Podcast. I'm here with an old friend today uh, who is now a history teacher at a middle school, and I'm very excited to catch up with her and learn a, a little bit about what she's been up to and how teaching is going for her. So welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you and so good to finally catch up. What have you been up to? What do you teach? Well, I'm teaching at a middle school, sixth grade history teacher, along with um, being the grade level lead there. Cool. And have you always been a middle school teacher? No. So I started my career in a high school. So I taught high school for four years and then I'm now I'm at the middle school and this is my second year there. How did you enter teaching to begin with? Well, it's interesting because as a child, I really like love teaching, but I feel like you're basically shaped by your experiences. So like my elementary school experience, I have really strong educators that I still like really remember and actually even keep in touch with. So I felt like because of what I saw, like that, what they conveyed as teachers, I was like, wow, I want to be that. But as I like, you know, continued, I, I then strayed away. And I didn't really want to do teaching. When I was in my undergraduate studies, you know, I got rejected from the education program. So I was like, man, you know, I'm not really going to pursue this. I'll just do something else. But then my senior year, um, there were like these alternative programs that were being posted all around campus, like Teach for America and like, you know, teaching fellows. Mm -hmm. And again, like I got rejected from one and I was like, this probably really isn't for me. (laughs) And one of them came through. And Mm -hmm. so I got into teaching. I, it was like a two year commitment. So I was like, I could do this. Let's see how it goes. And I really fell in love with it. And I'm still here. Cool. And then how did that transition happen from high school to middle school? It was interesting because I loved the high school so much that I was like, wow nothing can compare but um middle school is like equally amazing um so it was obviously there was like a lot for me to relearn in terms of like the social and emotional gap that you know exists between the two Mm -hmm. and you know just like learning like how middle school children are in general Mm -hmm. um but it's, it's been a great journey um kids are like the most amazing little beings to learn from like they have taught me so much what is the subject matter difference that you've experienced from high school to middle school honestly um it's similar content because i always taught world history um so it's very similar content again i just had to adjust to like the rigor and you know like academic standards and like how it should look for middle school but when I worked at the high school, a lot of the students weren't on grade level. So it doesn't feel too much different. Um, you know, it's it's always about like, where is this child right now? And where am I going to push them? So it, it's been good. It hasn't been a difficult like adjustment at all. 
That's very cool to hear. Let's talk about those programs, the alternate route programs a little bit, the programs that allow you to end one profession or one career in one field and then enter teaching instead. How did the, the, the one that you were in work out for you? Did you feel like it was a strong program and how effective do you think it was in preparing you to be a teacher? Yeah, so I get this question a lot. I feel like the program was a blessing for me particularly because again, like, you know, people are just so different and you know, unique and things work differently. In terms of preparation for the actual teaching profession, you know, it was a very fast paced program, but personally, I enjoy that. Like I'm the type of person that I can thrive with like a lot of pressure and, and like fast paced environments. So mm-hmm. for me, like it was just a motivating program because it was just so fast paced. And that's again, like what I like, um, you know, what I, I'm something that I, I thrive in or like do better in. So I felt like the program at least like made it clear to me like how I was going to become certified and it connected me to like people that I needed to be connected with. So I, I, you know, I really appreciate that aspect of the program that like it does um, bring you into a network um, and it does offer like that community. But again, like you have to seek what you want. So, you know, some people were a little bit upset because they felt isolated, but you have to seek what you want. So like, at least they show us like, here's what, you know, we can offer you, but then you have to go and get it. You know, you have to go on and go the extra step or, you know, put yourself in a place where you're like trying to have a conversation or like seeking the conversation to help yourself. So I really enjoyed the program and um, I appreciated it, you know, to all the people that I met through it and like through all the different networks that it like, you know, put me on to. What mindsets do you think newer teachers have to have? to feel successful or to become uh, successful over time? Number one, that it's always a learning process, right? That while like this program can bring some things to you, like it is not going to bring you everything that you need. So, you know, eradicating the mindset that like, oh, this has to fully equip me, like it's going to partially equip you, but the other piece you have to do, right? So like the mindset of like constant growth and like reflectiveness, because if you acquire that mindset early on, like you will be a very like successful educator because it's all about connections and communication with um, other people. And then like your own reflections and how you can improve things. A lot of people who enter teaching in the early years, and they're also going to graduate school, feel that the program provided is either too much on the, you know, concrete techniques and strategies side, or it's too much on the theory and philosophy side. What do you think matters most in teacher preparation? Well, I think that there needs to be a a blend. So, you know, there are programs now that want to focus more on the practical side, Um, And then there are some other programs that focus more on theory. There definitely needs to be a blend of both, but there needs to also be a focus on mindset. Um, You know, preparing teachers for number one, like their mindset um, currently, and then how that's going to impact and shape, you know, the challenges that they'll face and the career in general. So the program does have to have like a blend of theory and practical aspect to it. But also, again, like mindset and like wellness and preparing them for like that. I feel like programs should embed a component of like wellness preparations for educators because this is real, you know, like teachers do need to take care of themselves um, because essentially they're like pouring out to children, to the next generation. And if you're pouring out on empty, you know, then what 
you know, what are you really preparing children with? Yeah, that's a good point. How is the workload anyway? How would you describe the workload? I mean, the first few years are really difficult because, you know, you have, you just feel so overwhelmed. It's like you have to learn so many things at once, right? You have to learn because regardless of anything, you know, each school is its own community. So number one, you have to learn the community that you're in. Mm -hmm. Like schools are not standardized. They're not like a one size fits all, right? Like the community the school's in is important. And that school is also going to have its own community and culture. So like you have to learn the culture that you're in. Um, the culture of the children, of the community. Um, You have to learn how to navigate time management properly, right? You have to learn how to navigate your personal life versus your current job, not letting those interfere. And you, you just, there's so much. I feel like time management and prioritizing is like the number one thing right? That like is very challenging in the beginning of um, the teaching career, especially because usually it's very young teachers, you know, they start and there's Mm -hmm. just so much that they're navigating. Um, So definitely like, you know, they become overwhelmed with like um, grading and with the expectations and like depending on your, where you are, you know, if you're creating curriculum, like there's so many pieces that can become very challenging for newer teachers. Where do you stand on the curriculum? Do you think Uh, schools should have a set curriculum that they teach year after year with a little bit of tweaks over the years? Or do you think teachers should have autonomy over the curriculum that gets delivered to students? I think this is interesting because, you know, I started my career with like having a curriculum to work off of, but essentially having a lot of autonomy over it, which I really valued. But I don't think that that's necessarily the best approach for newer teachers, because I feel like You know, as a newer educator, you have to navigate and master the skills of like controlling a classroom, right? Like navigating time management. And so if you have to do curriculum on top of that, that's very overwhelming. And, you know, really is one of the reasons why teacher turnover is so big. Um, So I really think that there should be a prescribed curriculum, but that there should absolutely be autonomy in that curriculum for the more experienced educators, right? So like once teachers have proven, um, you know, successful through whatever metric of success the school has for them, then they should have more autonomy in in the curriculum. Because, you know, essentially, like, we want to move to more equitable classrooms. And that means we have to move towards, like, giving teachers autonomy to meet those needs in their classroom. Yeah. And where do you think teacher creativity fits into that? I mean, honestly, I think that as a new teacher, like, there are many outlets where you can exude your creativity, right? So, um, for example, creativity with how you're connecting with the parents, creativity with, you know, how you're connecting with the more difficult students that um, need a lot of support, you know. So I think that there's a lot of space for creativity and curriculum, again, is just one piece of it. And this is where I say mindset is so important, because when the way I see it is that, like, I really, you know, didn't. Like, I understand that, you know, you want to have creativity in your classroom, but if you can't manage your classroom, what creativity are you using, right? Like, we don't want teachers to spend four hours on a lesson and materials, but then not execute it because they couldn't control their room. Mm -hmm. That feels really horrible. It's like, okay, I overworked myself. I probably set up a little bit beyond what I should have, lost sleep, um, and now it went really wrong, right? So, like, now the teacher is a little drained, and now the teacher is low in spirits, but... I think that for the beginning, they should have a prescribed curriculum and they should, you know, focus their creativity on other elements of the job, like all the other pieces that are equally important. With regards to the workload, what do you think is the ideal teacher schedule? 
you know, how many preps should teachers have and how, you know, what time should they start work and how many periods should they teach in a day and what time should the school end, etc. I mean, my ideal, ideally, I feel like teachers should, it's different because I feel like the high school, you know, schedule versus middle school is very different. Um, And I almost feel like the middle school one is more sustainable just because I feel like you should teach like, I don't know, I guess like three to four hours or something, but your workday is a lot longer than that. So there has to be, you have to have prep times. There has to be at least like, I would say two and a half, I don't know, ideally like two and a half like hours where you really have time to yourself. And, and maybe you have more, but you have to do small other things. This is Each a- day you're talking about, right? Yeah, like, I feel like, I don't know, like, I think that prep times are so important, but I never really thought about what ratio should it be like. For sure, though, you should have at least two to three hours without interruption, you know, to really prep, to grade or to do whatever you need to do for the next day. What what about meetings? Over the last 10, 15 years, we've heard terms like professional learning teams and professional learning networks and uh, curriculum teams. And then obviously we have the grade level teams in a lot of schools. If we got two or three prep periods and we've got four instructional periods that's about seven periods already where do you see the role for or the room for collaboration with other teams or do you think that's important and a significant part of the work well that's the thing right like I feel like I always think about like newer teachers right because I feel like or like teachers in general without like more roles in their schools like Teachers should not have a lot of meetings. Like, I honestly think that, like, if you're just a teacher, leadership has to take on a lot of that stuff. Leadership should take on more of the collaborative meetings because their schedules are a little more flexible, right? They don't have to do all the instruction that teachers have to do. So I don't think teachers should have a lot of meetings because they should have, like, ample time to do their jobs in at work, right? Not to take all of this stuff home. Because then that's another right. area where, you know, it's it's feeding into this, like, overworking them. And then essentially we lose them. And that's not what we want. If we had to have one meeting a week, what kind of meeting would that be for you that you would recommend schools having? I mean, again, I'm thinking, like, if the person is just teaching, right, without, like, multiple roles, if they're mm-hmm. just teaching, they should have, like, depending on where they are. Because, again, teachers are very different. If it's a teacher that needs a lot of support... They should meet at least twice a week with their coach. I feel like, you know, they need to tailor these like teacher development programs, like, or Mm. whatever ways that organizations have them towards like, where is this teacher right now? Because they're not all the same. And if we keep treating it as such, you know, the turnover issue that we face is just going to keep increasing. I think if the teacher is like a teacher that, you know, is stronger, they should meet once a week with their coach. and, And there should be like once, unfortunately, I would wish that we could meet once a week as like a grade or or whatever, but that's that's too frequent for them. I really think teachers should meet once a week with their coach and if they need more support, twice a week with their coach, you know? And then the larger mm-hmm. meetings can happen bi-weekly or monthly because they need the time. Great. Uh, thank you for sharing that thought. You mentioned leadership. You also mentioned that you are uh, in a leadership position right now at your school. Can you d- describe a little bit of what your position is? What do you do? And then tell us the pros and cons of your position. Yeah, so a grade level lead. Basically, I have to manage more of like culture with the grade, you know, um, with the students, analyze some data around like, you know, culturally where the kids are, uh, behaviorally, etc. And I have to just like basically run some meetings. Um, The frequency of them changes. Sometimes it could be bi-weekly, mostly it could be like monthly. 
Um, but then I also like email them a lot. Basically, I have to be in charge of the team of the teachers. Like, we have a lot of systems and routines. Like, if if there's any issues going on, like I have to foster like that community within us, that transparency for them to feel comfortable. And the pros and cons. Like, the pros are that I feel as if I don't know. The pros are just like me learning how to be a better leader with them. You know in terms of like the conversations that I have to have, the ways that I have to push my teammates and myself. Um, mm-hmm. um, the comments are, you know, it, it can be very difficult um, to, you know, want your team to follow a vision, like, like creating the vision, having them follow with you. So I think mm-hmm. the con for me is more on the like, uh, personally, like the way that I reflect is, you know, I always want to be that leader that, is in there with my team not ever like awake not ever like that leader that like oh you're looking up to me no like i'm with them on the ground like you know Mm -hmm. i'm really supporting them as another member um and just trying to take away the administrative tasks that can be daunting to them what is the role of school leaders in a school or what should be the role in your view they shape the culture and they shape the vision and they have to emulate it like i feel as if you know leadership really is like the heartbeat of the school like you know what are they setting like what tone are they setting right like everything that they do is going to be reflected in the school so I think leaders there's different kinds of leaders there's different philosophies around it um but obviously I'm going to speak on behalf of you know what I think strong leadership is and it's Mm -hmm. leadership that builds capacity right like in order for schools to function effectively, like we need to build capacity, not only from our students, but we need to build it from for our educators, for the leaders there, for the parents, like we need to be building capacity. And leadership has to, again, like shape that and, and be on the ground with their team. You know, not, it shouldn't be that like, oh, I can't speak to, you know, my leader, like, they're not speaking to me right now. Um, you know, they're too busy. Like they're not, you know, it should be connected. It should be the leader that's doing with their team, right? That's like basically like leading with example, like whatever they're expecting that they're the forefront, that they're the exemplar showing that as well. So in order to run a school effectively, what do you think matters most? That's a big question. <laughs> There's a lot of things that <laughs> matter, but for sure. Um, I don't know. It's always like, what is the metric that we have to meet, right? Like, our, you know, there's differences for different organizations. Like, is it state tests? Like, what is our metric here? What do we need our kids to be doing? Right. And then like equipping, I don't know. I feel like the development is a big piece, right? Like the professional development being offered to all the stakeholders here, not just for teachers, but for leaders equally. So like the professional development, the resources, budgeting, you need a good, there's so many elements, right? You need a good finance person, Um, you know, you need a good operational team here, Um, but you need to really take care of your teachers. Like this is the big work here, right? Like our teachers are educating our students, that's how the school is running. So I would say Mm -hmm. a big focus, again, on the professional development um, of all the stakeholders And, you know, strong teams around like other more, you know, logistical and compliance pieces that keep the school running. Let's switch to teacher preparation. There are some people who think that teachers should arrive at schools on day one of their job ready to be an effective teacher. But the reality we also know is that first couple of years are always years where teachers, regardless of which program they went through, oftentimes teachers in their first couple of years say that it's very difficult. They weren't ready. Now, should 
schools be responsible for, you've mentioned PD a lot, should schools be responsible for providing consistent professional development and training to teachers? Why and why not? They should, um, because you can only get better through reflection and through development, um, right? Like, I mean, here's the thing though, like, mindset again right like they're not going to provide it's impossible to tackle every single need right that um Mm -hmm. teachers may have so teachers do have to understand that a big piece of this is on their own behalf what they're seeking right like you have to seek the growth that you want to have you know you have to basically push yourself in areas and and have this reflectiveness but there does have to be professional development for them especially again you have to get the a good leader will know the pulse of their school where is it where are the teachers right now and responding to that so i you know i don't think there should be like oh this is always going to be the professional development schedule because it doesn't make sense school school years after school years things change right like there are things that there's different focus areas. Yes, of course, you should have like standard, I guess, like development sessions that may always appear, but then there has to be that space for like, we need to respond to the pulse of the school. And I think uh, a school is definitely responsible for that because if you want to see growth, you have to be preemptive about how you're going to get that growth. So what's the point and value of teacher preparation programs or your master's degree in education? What's what is that supposed to do then if the schools are still supposed to every year, every week on weekly PDs provide training after training after training to teachers? Then where what's the role of the, the masters in the science or art of education? I mean, it's just like a qualification piece. It's just a foundation, right? It's just like a it's like a foundational thing. It's where you learn theory is where you're learning the statistics is where you're learning like what is the pulse of New York City right now and education but but it's just a foundation but then then like i said like there's different needs that arise once at the school and the preparation you get in your master's programs are foundational are general right are to just equip you with a general toolkit for beginning this profession but mm-hmm. the real work happens in the school right like the real work happens when you're actually doing the job and and gaining that experience there, there's no way that a master's program will ever fully equip someone to all the things that we face as educators. But again, there has to be a metric, right? That's the metric. That's the qualification piece. And I agree with it because I would want my educators to have that, like that foundational, you know, piece. But again, schools do have to respond to the pulse to their school, to their needs. And it shouldn't be overwhelming, right? It shouldn't be that you have it like every week, but you should have a system Mm -hmm. That is sustainable. That is responding to what you're seeing in your school. And then talked about the metrics a couple of times. What has your experience been like in terms of evaluation of teaching, of your own teaching? And what thoughts and key learnings you've had about teacher evaluation over the years? I have a few thoughts about that. Number one, I feel as if I feel like I've had really good experiences with my evaluations and, you know, people that have coached me and have um, been responsible for like supervising me because they've learned to, um, everyone is a different learner, right? And responds to different things. And and they've learned my Mm -hmm. style and they've geared their, um, you know, evaluations to my style. But I do feel like evaluations will always be a little bit tricky and ambiguous because my thing is like, as long as your evaluation has a clear, um, which like if you have a rubric, right? 
as long as your rubric clearly lists how it is that you have to meet that, then it's fine. But if you have a rubric and you don't have clarity around the expectation and, and getting there, then that's the problem that some educators do face, right? Like if you've never developed an educator on diverse, um, diverse learners and like equipping like multilingual students, but then you fill in that rubric, then that is just wrong, right? Because you have to have, again, if you want something, you have to show them how to get there and you have to be so clear about it. And as long as that exists, I feel like it can work. What should be some of the metrics on that rubric, you think? What should be teachers evaluated on? Well, there should be a lot of things, but obviously the general <laughs> ones are like, obviously classroom culture, um, instruction, you know, for sure there has to be pieces around like interactions with students, with families. Like that's a big component of teaching that should be in a rubric, you know, mm. like that's a big piece. It's not just about the instruction, like we're teaching people. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's not just a number, it's not just like a test score, like this is a person. So I think that for sure there has to be like, you know, classroom culture, classroom management, like instruction, response to like struggling learners. But in order to have that, you have to prepare, you have to have clarity around what you want to see and how you're getting your person to get there. You know, how, how are you getting that educator to, you know, reach this? You just mentioned test scores. Where do you see or what do you see is the as the role of the standardized testing and how should it be used by teachers and school leaders? I mean, it's always like very controversial because we know that like standardized tests have, you know, so many pockets of like discrimination in a way, you know, they, there's a lot of like controversy around them, but I feel as if the most effective thing to do is handle the now and, ha and like just what is it that currently we need to do, right? Like our big hope would be that one day we eradicate these things because not all kids are equipped. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation around like the tests themselves and, and who they're representing. But unfortunately, we have to do it. So I feel as if, you know, you have to know where you want if the test score, there has to be a metric, there has to be like something that we're working towards. Um, and right now, it's those tests. And I feel as if at the very least, like at least it creates a plan and a vision for educators. I do feel as if like there has to be something that we want to achieve. If you if you don't have that, then it becomes very difficult and quality of education then will be so different, which, you know, that is one of the big challenges that we face in the education world. Yeah. Do you think a teacher should be viewed as effective or ineffective based on how their kids are doing on the standardized test? No, I think that, you know, it's wrong because there are so many factors that are behind that that are not spoken of then because then it's like how's the leadership there like how well equipped were these teachers like you know where did these there's just so many factors that I think that that's a very wrong like teachers should not be ineffective or effective solemnly on test scores like that should not be the case I think that's a piece of it though because again we need some data we need something around the metric and the standard that was set for that educator right and for that grade so how should that test data be used then? Do you think it should inform what teachers teach? Do you think it should inform school-wide policies or, you know, the patterns it might identify? How should that data be used then? I mean, for sure, like one of the big pieces that leaders need to be developed on and develop their teachers on is, you know, response to data. Teaching is all about like you have to respond to data. You have to get it because then what are you doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you have mm -hmm. to have 
okay, this is what I need to achieve. Like I need to gather some data. I need to know where I'm heading. There needs to be like a clear direction that you want the person to go to, right? There has to be that in order for the person to be successful because if not, that's where they will be unsuccessful. So I think that like, um, it's good to have these, um, you know, data. It's good to have test scores, but it's more important to how are, like you said, how are you going to tackle them? And I think, again, like if you want people to effectively tackle this, then you need to show them how. Like, I'm sure there's many educators who still struggle with data and how to work with it, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a complex thing, right? You do have to learn, like, what is our system? And I think, again, this is the job of the leader, right? You want to just eradicate the pieces that can be overwhelming that are like in the way of good teaching. And one piece of it is like, how is leadership approaching data? Like, what are the systems there? Because we need to be super clear for the teacher. It shouldn't be that the teacher is doing all that on their own, because again, that's another element taken away from their job. That's something that can overwork them. Like, again, leadership has to shape that. I'd love to hear you share some of your thoughts around like, what do you think is the end goal of middle school education? And what do you think is the end goal of a high school education? Well, the end goal of a high school education is um, obviously to get the child to college. And we know that like, we should understand that there's different routes and we have to be respectful of that for our students, right? We have to empower them wherever it is that they need to lead into. But for sure, they need to have a plan, right? After high school, whether it's whatever they choose, but it has to be a plan that's going to bring more growth to them. And ideally it would be college, right? So that's like the end goal for high school. Like, uh, a first step post all of the schooling that you've just done right from K through 12 and now mm-hmm. it has ended and equipping them for like what they're about to step into and for sure financial education has to be more embedded into the high school curriculum right because you're about mm-hmm. to enter a whole new world and you should be at least aware of what you're gonna go into and <laughs> that's an area that you know our high schools have to grow in because I don't really feel like much New York City students from lower income communities know what they're facing once they step out of the K-12 bubble that they've just been in. Mm-hmm. What do you make of this idea that's been prevalent also among some some young people, especially? Oh, college is not for me. How do you see that? I mean, it's difficult because environment is big, but it is not your end, right? So you know, a lot of our students face so many challenges. And in most cases, they don't see like their family members in college, or they haven't seen Mm -hmm. success. So of course, they're going to think it's not for them, right? But our job is to like continue to empower and, and empower with like opportunity, right? Like not just words, but action behind it and like really pushing for that. Because I, you know, I really think that I understand that some people can thrive outside of college and it's done it has been done and I get it but a big piece of it is that like our students sometimes don't see success within themselves because of the way that our society is set up so you know I understand why they're saying it but I know that they can do it right I know that they can achieve it and it has to be again another mindset thing um that's that's another area where mindset is very important um so I think that kids need to see success and it starts with schooling right it starts with the first organization that they step into like who are their educators and how are they being treated Mm -hmm. what are your biggest frustrations with the work whether it's the work of teaching whether it's our education policy at the national or federal levels uh, what are some things that have been a cause of frustration for you as a teacher yeah so 
aside from politics, bureaucracy, and all like the general things that could be challenging, I think one of the most frustrating things that I've seen and that I continue to see is like people of color um, in these organizations and, and their, the treatment towards them, right? And the lack of talks on diversity, the lack of diversity empowerment, because I always often think to myself, like education is all about better lives for our children, right? Like, you know, eradicating all of these inequalities that exist in our education. But if we truly want to help those children, and once they now graduate and come into the professional setting, and then the way that they're treated, it's like, wow, so you fought so hard for this child to make it. And once they made it, how are you treating them in the workplace? And mm-hmm. how are you building them? So it's, it's very interesting. It's like, you know, they, they really want those kids to be successful. But the minute there is someone's colleague and not student anymore, things really change. And, and I feel like that has been the most frustrating, you know, thing that I've noticed in this career. For a long time, just to that point, for a long time in a lot of the nonprofit organizations, and especially in my experience in the charter world, there has been a lot of conversation about, you know, bringing children uh, to college because that's that's the that's what's going to solve the issues related to uh, poverty and and race and and um, any other kind of inequality that exists are you suggesting that it is it's more complicated than that absolutely yeah absolutely because once again like there's this big fight for getting them through and to and through college but then when they're the colleague and no longer the student dynamics really really change and so that is the interesting piece there is like now the you know things have to change and I guess there has to be a shift in in regards to like how are people of color like empowered developed and treated in the professional workforce right because great you go to and through college but at the end of the day you are going to become a professional right that is the end goal and so that you have a sustainable life where you know you have the finances that you need to to live the way that you want to live um but i really think that there has to be a bigger focus on you know developing and accepting the differences that come with like people of color and diversity in the workforce cuz i think a lot of places are starting to have the talk but we're in 2020 and we service people of color 100% across our school right like that is the work and mm-hmm. so then you know what are you doing to the professionals of color that you're with, you know? Like, that's really where there's going to be a lot of impact because that's the real end goal, that they become sustainable citizens that can live. How much do you think teacher identity matters in the in the work of especially urban education? I mean, it matters tremendously, right? Like, I I can literally just recall having probably two teachers of color my entire time as a as a student and that's mm-hmm. that's insane because you know I live in New York City one of the most diverse places ever but as growing up as a child like I didn't really see representation of who I was in schools and and of course I was a different child so I looked at like who's the leader of the school like you know who who's in the bigger positions oh definitely not mm-hmm. represented by somebody that looks like me so identity is very big like children are going to see, they need to see as well, right? Like, it's not just a talk. If all you hear is the talk and you don't see it, mm-hmm. then it's going to obviously make you feel as if this cannot be true. Um, so I think that teacher identity is huge and not even teacher, but leadership identity. Who are the leaders? Like, who are, who are the people that are making the calls? Because 
students are very, um, they have a lot of, of insight and they are very observant. So kids mm-hmm. know this, they think this, and oftentimes they ask those questions, but you know, sometimes they're shut down because of many reasons. But it happens a lot. How does collaboration with parents work? What are the different challenges that surface when working with parents? And how do you manage those relationships? Yeah, so the different challenges that surface for sure are hurt that they've received prior, right? So like parents come with a lot of hurt from different schools or their experiences, and then they they come guarded. And so they come um, assuming that you will be the same. So a big challenge of it is breaking down the guard and like allowing the parents to understand breaking those guards down, breaking down the assumptions, helping them there and, and getting gaining their trust. So that's big challenge number one is gaining their trust. And the way that I navigate relationship with parents, I mean, it depends again where you are in your organization, but I really mm-hmm. think that parent communication is very important. It is something that I personally continue to want to improve on because I still feel like I can be better at it. Um, You know, I can't lie, it's an overwhelming job. So sometimes it's the last thing that I think about, but I always push myself to constantly think about it because I am working with this parent for their child. Like we're a team. And if the kid sees that, it's even stronger and it's going to help it even more because parents know their child. That's their child. They're with them all the time. You know, we're with them a lot as well. So we need to be a strong front, like to help, to help the child in the end. While we're talking about parents, you know, one of the conversations that's been ongoing in education is this concept of school choice, whether or not, you know, there should be different schools available for parents who, if they wish, want to send their child to a a school that they perceive as better, that they should be able to do that. And some people argue that that's not the solution to any kind of problem or inequity in general, and that we should just strengthen the schools that are in the communities already. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, on school choice? I think it's so important, right? Because at the end of the day, choice is something that's often, you know, connected with privilege, right? Choice comes with the more privilege, if you Mm -hmm. think about it. And so I think that it is empowering. Like if a a underprivileged um, parent, you know, from a low-income community has choice, that's powerful. Choice is powerful. And so I Mm -hmm. think that it is, Yes, it should absolutely be a thing where we strengthen schools, but there should be choice because as I mentioned, people are very unique and different and one model will never be the solution and it is impossible. So then there has to be several models and we all know that, you know, the more you know your child, the more you know what works for that child and it's going to be very different across the children because They're children of color, but they're people and they're very different, you know? A lot of people are dissatisfied with the way in which we are providing education to our children, especially children from low-income neighborhoods and underprivileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Do you think there's something, the issue with our approach to providing education? Do you think our system is good enough? Do you think it's broken? How do you see our system of education? Okay. Our system has a long way to go. So for sure, the system has a lot of, you know, areas that it needs to improve on, for sure. Um, And I think that, like, data and, like, data clearly shows that something is wrong, right? School-to-prison pipeline is another big topic. Data will show you that there has been, and of course, there's been a lot of work. Like, I do see that there are some 
areas that they're trying to improve on that they're finally, you know, admitting to. Um, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done because I truly think that bureaucracy really, really fosters stagnation and like stagnant systems that are not necessarily improving anything. Right. And like we're in a new era, like how I was taught as a kid no longer works and it should no longer work because it's a new generation now. And so that's one of the big dangers with the system, how bureaucracy just fosters stagnation and like, you know, an absence of growth. And then then it becomes very problematic when they're, you know, when the kids are now adults in the society. Thank you. And if you could then wave a magic wand to make the system better, to make education better, or so now it comes better, what would you do? If I could wave a magic wand, what would I do? I mean, <laughs> that's always been a very interesting question, but I would say if I could wave a magic wand, I would for sure eradicate the bureaucracy that stops growth. Like I would, I would absolutely tap into that because I would, you know, want to change the archaic things that are no longer working and really bring in you know, newer things that our students need to be equipped with to be successful um, when they finalize their education. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would eradicate the bureaucracy and I would foster, I would focus so much more heavily on mindsets and leadership to bring that to life. What are some examples of bureaucracy that you feel like always gets in the way? Oh my God, so many, right? Like there are like, there are so many, you know, um, tenure like teachers in our system that really are not showing, right, are not providing the best for our kids, but are still there because of the bureaucracy. So unfortunately, like, it's okay to the system. And then unfortunately, the child, again, has been left with a really poor education that is really hurting them. And now they're being, you know, told they have to meet the metric of this um, test score. But what happened to, you know, all of their past education that didn't get them there? So that's what I mean. Okay, thank you. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at Turn and Talk Podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device. If you have questions, thought, feedback, or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back, please email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Jay McSuits, signing out. Peace.